Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover Life of Wallace by James Patterson. This is book 45 of 52 for my 2020 reading list. I was in Edinburgh in 2018, and I walked into the Gently Mad bookstore. And I came across a book with the title Life of Wallace. Took it off the shelf, looked in it. Published in 1898. It smelled of old bookstore, bookstores. Smelled of, uh, well... Let's just be honest. It smelled a little bit of mold. And it was actually kind of hard to read the book because the, uh, the mold st- smell was so strong. But there was one really cool thing right when you open the book. And that is a plaque. And it says, Springburn School Board, Elbert Evening Continuation School, Session 1898 to 1899. This prize, this book, this prize is awarded to James Henderson for complete attendance and good conduct. 8th of March, 1898, by N.P. Dodds, chairman of the board. So this book was given to a, an excellent student in 1898 for that perfect attendance and good conduct. And he was given a book about the hero of Scotland, the life of Wallace. And I wanted to know more about this William Wallace. I'd first come across Wallace in the movie Braveheart, a movie that had a huge impact on my life. It sparked a desire and a love of Scotland that I have not been able to get rid of. It is only intensified as the years have gone on. I've been to to Scotland 10 times since watching Braveheart. And we named our daughter Scotland. My wife and I love the country so much. It has such a rugged beauty, a different look depending on when you're there, what time of the year. You go in the summer and the the early fall and the hills are purple with heather. You go in the late fall into winter and the colors of the trees are just stunning. And you go in the spring and everything is alive with this rich green and the hills and the mountains. It is just a stunning country. And it just seems the farther you drive north, the more beautiful it gets. So when I saw this book, I wanted to see what people thought about Wallace in the 1800s. I wanted to see what was known about him then and how that's different from what we think about him and know about him. And that mainly being from, at least in my case, from the movie Braveheart. So let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, William Wallace was born in 1270 and he died in 1305. He was executed in London. And the only record we have of William Wallace is from Blind Harry in a poem that he wrote 172 years after Wallace was executed. So Blind Harry was born in 1440. He died in 1492. But in 1477, he wrote the acts and deeds of the illustrious and valiant champion Sir William Wallace. That was too long of a title, so they just called it the Wallace. But I prefer the acts and deeds of the illustrious and valiant champion, Sir William Wallace. But think about that. All we have about Wallace 
was written 172 years later. Blind Harry himself did say that he was pulling from a book written by one of Wallace's childhood friends. However, that book has never been discovered, and so it's not known if that actually existed or if, or if Blind Harry just kind of made that up. But William Wallace did exist, and we have historical record. And so um, what this book, Life of Wallace, did was to pull mainly from Blind Harry's account of the life of Wallace, and then combine it w- with the historical record at the time. So what was actually known about about Wallace from from other other historical records. So it, it's neat in that sense. I mean, but if if you think of a book written 172 years after a man's life, at that point you're getting a lot of stories. You're getting a lot of myth. You're getting you're getting the folklore of William Wallace. So it begs that question that's come up in other books for this project of who is the man and and what is the myth? Where do those two things meet? And how can we get to know William Wallace better? Randall Wallace, who wrote the book called Braveheart, which was then used to create the, the movie screenplay, also pulled heavily from Blind Harry. So Blind Harry is is a, 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 is the is the only source is the main source uh, about Wallace other than other than the historical record. For the record, when I studied at at Oxford, I was telling my professor, uh, which they call the Oxford Don, I was telling him of my love of Braveheart, and he laughed in my face. Historians in general hate the movie Braveheart, and uh, it's considered one of the most historically inaccurate films of all time. So uh, that's part of my interest in this as well. The the movie had such an impact on me. What of it was true? What if it was, what if it was not? What, what do we know? What don't we know? And so that's, that's my reason for reading this book and going into it. And so that's the, 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 the format of this episode as well. I'm going to take things from Braveheart, compare them with what I read in this book, Life of Wallace, and in turn, what is being pulled from the Blind Harry's account of Wallace, and compare the two and see where Braveheart got it right, where it got it wrong, and and try to try to see try to see what we can learn from this book written in the mid 1800s. So the author is James Patterson. It is not the James Patterson of of now of uh, of action thriller books of of our day. It is a James Patterson that was born in Scotland in 1805. He passed away in 1876, and this book was written in 1858. The copy I have was published in 1898. As for stats, it took me six hours and 52 minutes to read it, and that was over five days. It's a 336-page book. So in the rest of this episode, I'll be covering the following in the next two segments. The, the next segment, I'll, I'll cover 10 comparisons to Braveheart. So what I learned in, in Life of Wallace, how does that compare to the movie Braveheart? And then in segment three, I will conclude how I always conclude with the one thing, my one key takeaway from Life of Wallace.
one of my recent trips to Scotland with my, my wife, we met a man named John. And he had a huge tattoo of Wallace on his arm. And next to that tattoo, uh, underneath it was, was one of Wallace's attributed quotes. It said, how can I be guilty of treason when England is foreign to me? Now, John was in prison for a while in Stirling. And in Stirling, there is a monument to Wallace. And it's near where the Battle of, of Stirling took place. And John could see that monument from his prison window. And he said it was, it was a guiding light to him. It was, it was kind of his North Star while he was in prison because he, he just looked at that. He knew he'd be free again one day. He'd be out of prison. And it, that, that monument gave him hope. And, and I always think of John when, when, I think of, uh, when I think of William Wallace. And when I, when I think of Braveheart too, which has been called one of the most historically inaccurate movies of all time. So let's get into it. Where did Braveheart get it right? Where did it get it wrong? And let's, I'm just going to go through 10 things that were in Life of Wallace here and how that com- connects to the, to the film Braveheart. So the first is the Barnes of, of Air. And if, if you recall in the movie, one of the first scenes is uh, the, the narrator's kind of describing it where the Scottish nobles were, were gathered together under a banner of truce from the English, and they arrived at this barn, and they were all hung. And Blind Harry referred to this as the Barns of Air. However, more recent historical scholarship doubts that this event took place at all. But in the movie, it's one of the the main things that that kicks things off and shows how evil the English are. That even under a banner of truce, the English are are killing Scots. Number two, a David and Goliath. David versus Goliath story. So if you if you remember in the in the movie Wallace returns to his his childhood area and there's some Scottish games going on and there are, you know contests of strength and there's dancing and and there's just this festival going on and Wallace shows up and uh, and his friend is is throwing this huge rock and it, so it's this huge show of strength and then Wallace kind of picks up this small little stone and and throws it and, and nails his friend right in the head and knocks him down. It's just kind of a scene reminiscent of a, of a David and Goliath type of, of, of story. And although that is not does not show up in, in life of Wallace, another story does show up. And it's actually when, when Wallace encounters this man who pays people to hit him as hard as they can with, with this pole. And Wallace is portrayed as such a strong man that uh, he takes up this offer, and he's so strong that he that he kills this man uh, by hitting him with the pole. So this man who's been hit his whole life with this pole and had people pay him to hit him, uh, Wallace takes the challenge and and just kills him. He, he he hits him so hard. Number three, Rome. In the scene with Wallace when he's when he's wooing Murin. Uh, they're talking and she says, oh, you've been to Rome. And, and Wallace says, I, uncle took me on a pilgrimage. But there's no actual reference that uh, Wallace went to Rome in his early years. There, there is a reference that he was raised by an uncle who would have had access to a library, uh, maybe an ecclesiastical uh, situation to where, to where Wallace would have been trained in, in the Bible and 
and just had access to different to different books. But there's no indication that he went to Rome. But what is interesting is that a le- and this was found later on, uh, not obviously not during blind even blind Harry's time, but there was a letter found in the Tower of London. And the Tower of London is where prisoners would would go. Uh, you usually go into the Tower of London, but you don't come out. You're usually executed if you are if you're on your way to the Tower of London. But they found a, a letter, and it was a letter of introduction from the French king to the Pope for William Wallace. So I'll talk a, a little later in this episode that Wallace would go to France. And there were, there were a few different times that he went to, to France. And he, he would meet with the French king. And the, the, the king had, had written this letter of introduction to the Pope for Wallace to meet the Pope. And in, in the, the thinking is for, for him to talk to the Pope and, and try to get him on the sky, side of, of Scotland and for freedom from Scotland, for Scotland. And the fact that this letter was in the Tower of London makes it seem that it was probably on Wallace. Wallace probably had this letter with him when he was captured and then sent to England for for execution. And so it's interesting. In the film, they they have it wrong that uh, Wallace went to Rome as a as a child, but there's this this interesting letter that uh, he he was to go to Rome and, and never made it. He was executed before before he had the chance to go to meet the Pope. There's also the uh, talk of the Pope in Braveheart, uh, the the scene where where the people kneel in front of Wallace and he says, stand up, man, I'm not the Pope. And so just some interesting connections there, but but not how it happens in, in the movie. Number four, Murren. Murren's name was was probably Marion, uh, and not Murren, but it's Wallace's love interest, and she was indeed murdered, and murdered by the English sheriff Hesselrig. And in the movie, Wallace gets his revenge on Hesselrig and, and slits his throat in the same way that Hesselrig killed his Wallace's uh, love interest, and. But that's not how he was murdered. Wallace did actually get his revenge, but he killed him in his house, uh, not uh, by slitting his throat out out in public. But what's interesting is there there's another scene in the film where Wallace does go into someone's house and and kills the the person in in his bed. So it's kind of one of those things where it didn't happen with this particular person, but uh, there's another scene where where Wallace does go into someone's house to to kill him. Uh, in Life of Wallace, this book, it said that with with this with Marion, Wallace had a daughter. Uh, that was not in the film. Number five, the Battle of Stirling. This is one of the things historians hate the most because the film portrays the Battle of Stirling. It's the, it's the first big battle in Braveheart, and it's when there is the two armies across across the way in this huge field, and it's where Wallace gives that that speech. Uh, Mel Gibson gives that speech and fires everyone up, and then they just go and and decimate the the English. And it's largely because of these spears that they have, and 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 the battle did not take place in a field. It, it was the Battle of Stirling Bridge. It took it took place on a bridge, and the Wallace Monument is is neat because you go up into it, and and then you can see the actual battlefield. You see where the battle took place. And the English were were at the Stirling Castle, and they were they were crossing the the river 
to get to where to to get to where the Scots were, and the Scots were kind of hiding up in this this hill, and so Wallace was up in the hill and he was telling his men, "Wait, hold, wait, hold," and he wanted a certain number of of English to cross this bridge. And then he would attack. So that way he didn't have to fight the entire English army. He just had to fight a, a small percentage of them. And so in the film, you, you you see the English attacking them full force. And then Wallace is sitting there saying, hold, hold. And then they lift up the spears and, and that kills the, the cavalry coming in. So it didn't happen like that. Uh, it was much different. But there was this sense of, of Wallace telling his men to hold. And then... The, there were long spears, but the long spears were, they used those up in the hill. So, uh, the Calvary, some of the cavalry that did get across on the English side, they did go up into that hill to try to fight the Scots in that hill. And, the, and apparently the, uh, according to life of Wallace and blind Harry, the, uh, the Scots had those, those sharp poles on that hill to where, when this, when the cavalry was coming up, cavalry was coming up the hill, uh, the, the, the spears were, were knocking them down. So didn't happen like it did in the, in the film, although that is an epic war scene, war battle. Um, it, it, it's, it, it did capture some of that and it captured the strategy. It captured, uh, William Wallace's strategy of, of waiting until a certain number of people came across the bridge, blind Harry. And then life of Wallace also talks about that, uh, that Wallace had somebody, take apart the bridge so that, uh, at, and, and then at a certain point in the battle, it could fully be taken apart. So like the middle of the bridge would have just collapsed. So that would have even made it worse. And then the, the English couldn't have gotten the rest of the army couldn't even have gotten across. Everyone that was on the bridge would have, would have fallen into the river and drowned. And so there was a huge strategy part of it. And, and so you get that sense in, in the movie that there, that there's a big strategic win going on there. Uh, but it's just, it's, <laughs> not how it happened like in this open field number six the nobles uh braveheart captured very well the constant fighting amongst the nobles and there's a great line in this book life of wallace where james patterson says the struggle for independence reversed the natural order of positions so you had these nobles in scotland who by birthright were in positions of leadership. And then you had Wallace, who he was not as lowborn as Braveheart portrays him, but he was not full noble either. But Wallace is, is this freedom fighter, and he's fighting, he's fighting for a cause, and, but he's not going about it as trying to get position. Like, he's all about freedom. This is just how he's constantly portrayed, is is being a, a, all about freedom. And so that just threw everything out of order because now people are following Wallace. They're not following the nobles. They're, they're wanting to be behind this man who is, who is all about courage and, and, and fighting for freedom. And so you get a lot of that sense in the film. Uh, Wall, uh, Mel Gibson saying, men don't follow titles, they follow courage. Or Wallace pushing Bruce to lead, uh, telling him, if you just lead them. And then uh, just a mis... The, the, how it's portrayed in this book is that there's, there's just a huge misunderstanding. The nobles, I guess, couldn't get it in their head that someone would just want to fight for freedom and not want to fight for lands or position or, 
or other things. And, and, and so throughout the book, you get this sense of Wallace not wanting a position. Like he, he, he gets a governor role and, and, and gives it up. Uh, so that, that's throughout this book. It's portrayed throughout the movie. And so I, they, they got that right in that kind of, that struggle for, for position and with the nobles. Number seven, Robert the Bruce. This is a hard one. Uh, there's just so many different things written about Robert the Bruce and and was he a traitor? Uh, Braveheart makes it seem like he was a, a traitor, and then later on, you know, he, he wins the Battle of Bannockburn. Um, it 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 doesn't seem to be as clear cut as that. It it does seem to be in in how it's more portrayed in in this book, Life of Wallace, is that. He Robert the Bruce was a noble, and so he he's thinking more along those lines. And apparently, the Battle of Falkirk was a big turning point for him. This book said that that Robert the Bruce wounded Wallace in the neck in the Battle of Falkirk. And again, I couldn't I couldn't uh, find if that was was true or not. But apparently, after the Battle of Falkirk, Robert the Bruce vowed never again to fight against Scotland. So there's also kind of tying in with the nobles thing that I just mentioned. There's this constant misunderstanding between Robert the Bruce and Wallace in that Robert, Robert the Bruce always thinks that he's trying to get a position for, for, for fighting, for, for leading the army and for fighting for freedom, fighting against the English. But uh, it, it's not the case. And, and I think Robert the Bruce realizes that at some point, and then there's a shift in, in Robert the Bruce. Number eight, meeting the queen. So in Braveheart, we see Wallace meeting Edward II's wife, and then taking things way, way, way further and having a child with her. Slight problem is that uh, Edward II and his French wife were not even married by the time Wallace was executed. And by the time that is portrayed in the movie of when Wallace would have been with her, she would have been a child. So that didn't happen. But this book says that Wallace met with Edward I's wife. So Edward the Longshanks wife, Queen Margaret. And this is another thing that I that I couldn't really find other information on it, but this this book says, and, and and this is according to Blind Harry's account, Wallace had such a reputation of kindness despite these battles. So in in these battles against the English, he he would spare the women, the children, and the priests. And so apparently Queen Margaret felt confident enough that she would not get attacked that she wanted to meet with Wallace. And uh, Blind Harry actually says, the, uh, so it, James Patterson says this, the minstrel ways were, were of the opinion that the queen was in love with Wallace for his brave deeds. So even though in the movie it's portrayed as, as Wallace getting together with Edward II's wife, it may have been more that he got together with Edward I, but it was just a meeting. There was no love interest, but... But the 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 spark or the mention of that was from Blind Harry. So 
kind of interesting. Again, the the historians hate the connection with with the French queen, uh, but maybe he did meet with with Edward the first wife's first wife, Queen Margaret, and they said he did because our Edward the first was in France fighting. Uh, so Queen Margaret was the only one in England, and she wanted to meet to try to try to have a truce, try to to stop the 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 battles between the English and the Scots. So I don't know if that's true, but but it's interesting that uh, that Wallace may have indeed met with a a queen. the The other side that gets played in the in the movie is just this this connection with France. And in Life of Wallace, there are two trips mentioned to France and to where Wallace was going to France and actually fighting the English in France. And then just also a number of meetings with the French royalty. So I think that's where you, you get kind of this combination of things in Braveheart where he's, he's in love with the French queen. Um, just kind of combining Wallace's trips to France uh, even though it would have been really impossible for him to have had a love interest with with uh, with Edward II's wife. Number nine, man versus myth. There's this story that Blind Harry includes about Wallace fighting a lion in France and then killing the lion. So you almost have this uh, this Samson or or David type story again, where where it's Wallace killing these these lions and in the historical records say that that probably didn't happen but it reminds me of a scene in Braveheart where there these people in Scotland are talking and they're talking about the myth of Wallace and how he was like Moses in the Red Sea and he's you know nine feet tall and, and all this stuff and just all these myths going and if you listen to an episode a few back about David Crockett, it, that came up a lot too. The the man versus the the myth, and where where do you draw the line? What what's the what's the truth about the man, and what is is the myth? But I think Braveheart actually did a great job in capturing that, and you have all these different stories that probably didn't happen, but it was part of that myth, and it, it, probably some of the stories that Blind Harry would have would have heard. Um, probably much exaggerated 172 years after after Wallace. The tenth thing is the ex- execution of Wallace. And the movie got that right on 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 a lot of accounts, although the actual execution was was much more gruesome and nasty and I won't go into it, but they they did get it right uh and, and later also what is said about it on on what happened to Wallace's body after the fact. So those are the 10 things that, uh, that stuck out to me that were maybe similar to what happened in Braveheart, just not exactly how it happened historically, but with the creative license of the movie, uh, they did capture some things that were unique to Wallace, uh, his, his military strategy, his, his brilliant mind in that sense. Um, the, the, the long spears and and not done in the way that, that they're shown in the film, but they were still used by by Wallace, just a lot of those types of things that uh, that are interesting when you when you read a little bit more about about Wallace.
Now in a segment three and the one thing, and I'm going to expand one and maybe cover two things in this one. So the first thing that really stuck out to me about Wallace's life, it just, he reminded me of George Washington. You've heard of the story of Washington where instead of be, wanting to be president further, he, he, he turned down the role and, and became a farmer. And the king of England at the time said, if, if George Washington did indeed do that, then he's a greater man than, than I thought. Uh, something in that effect. But just that that uh, ability to have, you're in the top position and, and to turn that down, it, it, it says a lot about the character of the man. Wallace, the way he's portrayed in this book was very similar. He fought for freedom. He was not in it for position. He was not in it for money. He was not in it to to try to gain wealth. At any time that uh, position was put forward for him to to take, he would try to push it off to somebody else. He would try to push it off to Robert Bruce or, or to someone else. He wanted to fight for freedom. And he would take roles if that furthered the cause of freedom. But his main goal is freedom. It was not to, to gain from, from that. So that, that was the first thing that stuck out to me about Wallace's life. And it, and it was captured in, in Braveheart, but you, you just kind of wonder, is this, is this part of the myth or, or is this, is this how this man really was? And then the second thing, and I'd never heard this before. It's uh, certainly not presented in the movie, but, uh, the, in, in the in life of Wallace, it says when Wallace was was executed, he asked for one thing, and that was he had always carried the Psalter book that his mother had given him. He had always carried that on him, and he asked for that to be held in front of his face while he was executed. And who knows if that's true? Uh, it's a, it's a nice story, but it's something that stuck out, and I, I thought it was neat and. There are indications that that Wallace was a religious man. That uh, perhaps the influence of his of his uncle, of his mother, and for him during his execution to to request for that to be placed in front of his face was was something interesting that uh, I had never heard before. So taking a step back here for a minute, part of this. Part of this reading of this book and wanting to, to learn more about Wallace is a grappling of a question. And it's this question. I, I, actually, kind of a shock the, when, I, when I was talking to my Oxford Don in the year 2000 and was mentioning Braveheart and, he, and him laughing in my face of how historically inaccurate the movie Braveheart was. I just, I didn't know at that point. I um, just hadn't read into it any didn't hadn't heard any opposing viewpoint and um so just assumed that what i was seeing in braveheart was was correct and so that that was just kind of a shock uh, for a, a college age student in in learning that uh oh maybe braveheart's not uh correct after all but but digging into that question and so grappling with that uh what what do you do when you find out that something that has deeply influenced you is wrong is is incorrect is uh is not historically accurate at all and the reason i ask that and the reason i i grapple with it is i there's there's a christian writer and speaker 
who uh, it just came out that he's not who he said he was in just kind of the worst possible way. I have books by this man. Uh, he's influenced my life. He's influenced friends of mine's life. I, I know people who have worked with him. And so what does that say about the impact of that man on my life? And I've known other men who have, have fallen like that. So they've impacted my life, but was it, I, what, what do you do with that? And that, that's kind of one of the, the questions that I grapple with. Um, it's, it's kind of a fun question with, with Braveheart, you know, uh, the movie had a big impact on my life and, and yeah, I'm getting to know more about Braveheart, but what, what about when it's more personal, when you, when you find out that someone is not who you thought they were, when, when maybe a whole system that you believed in is not what you thought it was, what do you do with that? And does it negate everything that you believe? Do you take, do you take the good out of that? Do you, do you try to remember uh, things that are that are still helpful? Do you need to remove everything? I, I saw somebody comment, "Do I need to get rid of all the books that I have of this of this person?" And I, I don't have an answer. I'm not providing an answer here for for that question, but it, it's something that I think all of us grapple with, and, and it's a tough thing to grapple with. And so that's part, that's part of my reason for digging in to this. So for, for Braveheart and the story of William Wallace. We may never know the the true actual story. Uh, there are no sources from that exact time, like from his actual life, other than just you know a few historical mentions. So it's a man versus myth, but w- there are parts that are true. And can you pull those things? Can can those still light light your fire? Uh, it's it's something to grapple with, right? So this was an experiment of sorts. It was to see what people thought about Wallace 100 years ago, what what uh, people were writing about him, and to see what the popular understanding of him was, uh, especially before Braveheart came into play. What was captured in Braveheart that is true, what is not, what tried to get to some aspect of the truth, and what is not even close, and then what is things that we just will never know. Those are things I I wanted to dig into here. So that's what we're going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's Eric with a K. So Eric, E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode, of other ones, uh, what you know about Wallace, maybe what what I got wrong in this episode or, or things that you have discovered about Wallace that you wanted to share. I'd love to hear those things. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that. You can go to booksoftitans.com forward slash support. I have just revamped the website. There are a lot of new tools. You can view my reading lists. You can view reading lists of others. I have a new resources page with a ton of tools that can help you read better and remember what you read. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And I will be back in a couple weeks discussing another book from my 2020 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, keep listening. I'm out.